Are you a business owner looking for real advice and input? You're in the right place. From concept to launch to growth, funding and beyond. Welcome to Startup Hustle with your hosts. One once sold a business for $150 million. The other, the author of Million Dollar Bedroom. Here are your hosts of Startup Hustle, Matt DeCourcy and Matt Watson. And we're back. Another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here with Matt Watson. Hi, Matt. What's going on, man? Oh, I'm just here. It's another blessed day on Startup Hustle. Yeah. I've been waiting. I've been waiting like 200 episodes for this. I know. There's, you know, there's, you know, we often, ref- when we talk about technology, we often refer to technical debt. Today, I believe that all of Startup Hustle's technical f- debt may be forgiven. I've got a lot of things to ask for forgiveness. I know, I know. This is really a a great thing. Now, I figured why not bring in some higher power here. So it's with us today. We've got Father Justin Matthews. Father, welcome to Startup Hustle. Hey, it's an honor to be with you guys. We're going to have to do absolution in private chat, I think. You know, might be a better way to, yeah. True. True. Um, so mainly, I think what we were going to start by confessing our sins. Was that yes. the plan, Matt? Okay, this is welcome Might to take the a while. I was going to say this is a 14 part series. This is serious. No, t- today's topic is is social venture and different types of social entrepreneurship. And, you know, Father, you have Father Justin, uh, as, as you have asked to be called, you are doing some really interesting stuff. You're taking the nonprofit world and putting a, putting a twist of startup mentality behind it and doing some really great stuff around Kansas city, um, and bigger plans for down the road. Uh, looking forward to hearing you tell us more about that. Absolutely. Now, first I got to ask, am I the first priest to ever come on the startup hustle? And is there some kind of plaque I get or, you know, is there some designation? Do you need a chaplain for each episode potentially? <laughs> Maybe I might need a confession after okay. some of them. All right. All but right. yeah, you're, a, you're, you're, Matt? We have a special holy grail for you. Mm. Oh boy. We're gonna go all sorts of places we shouldn't go if I'm not don't, careful. Don't don't drink out of that cup, Father. <laughs> oh do Lord. Not, <laughs> do not drink out of Watson's cup does not runneth over. All right. Well, we should probably get into entrepreneurship and social entrepreneurship then. Yeah. Well, give us a background on on what on what you're even talking about when it comes to social venture and some of the some of the things that you're doing uh, related to it. Absolutely. Well, everybody, uh, if you've read anything about social entrepreneurship or what I like to call social venturing, um, you know there are so many different definitions. You've got everything from Tom's shoes on the one hand, buy a pair, you know, give a pair all the way to uh, companies that are actually working to, you know, solve utility crises in India or solve environmental crises. There's really a wide range. Um, And the way that I like to define social venturing or social entrepreneurship is this. I believe it's the bringing together or the harnessing of the best of business, faith and philanthropy for social good. And each one of those categories, uh, business, for example, is fantastic at moving capital to market and doing it quickly. But it's not so great at always keeping the, uh, the rails when it comes to uh, maximizing people over profit. And then if you look at the faith spectrum, 
Uh, and by here, I don't mean necessarily just my faith. I'm talking generally about faith and spirituality. Um, you know, the faith spectrum, we're talking about ways that we can really protect uh, what's essential about humanity and what's important uh, about things that maybe we need to keep mindful. And then when we talk about philanthropy, the best of philanthropy, you know, charity and philanthropy is fantastic at bringing uh, either first dollar to a project to catalyze something or to bring money to do research and ROI where there isn't yet a market, but there could be. It's also fantastic at just supporting things that have no ROI that that we all agree need to be done and maybe can't be done in the public spectrum. So the best of business, faith, and philanthropy for social good. And that's what Reconciliation Services is really trying to pursue as we move away from the traditional nonprofit work in order to solve problems, but then try to get at those root problems in a more sustainable way that blends together uh, using that social venturing mentality. So when you when you talk about the sustainability of social venturing and, you know, the the kind of split away from the the traditional nonprofit look, does is the sustainability created by some form of of profitability that can occur from the venture itself. And that's I mean, that's where the self-sustaining nature comes from. I because I, I, when I think about, you know, uh, all right, so here we go. We're having first today. I'll quote the Catholic Church who wants you to donate time, talent or treasure. Right. So obviously those are forms of capital and in, in different ways, but they can run out because there's nothing replenishing them other than donations. So is social venturing, is that creating something that that in, creates some form of return or profit to then fuel the ongoing nature and not rely on donations or time, talent, treasure type input? Sure. So think about it, whether we're running a business, whether you know, you're running a tech company in another country, or you're starting a small business, or you work for IBM, it doesn't matter. Everyone is bringing time, talent and treasure what the church is talking about is bringing that into the spiritual life to support uh, the aims of, uh, of the faith. Now, when we talk about profitability and we talk about sustainability, what I'm really talking about is the fact that yesterday's nonprofit fundraising model is not going to fund today and tomorrow's innovation and sustainability for the social things that we're trying to solve, whether they be issues of the environment or race and economics or just, you know, giving the basics to people who who need it and need uh, an opportunity to succeed. So when we talk about sustainability, sure, we're trying to create something that actually generates revenue other than me just coming, you know, to Matt Corsi and saying, hey, would you would you give that million dollars that you pledged last year finally and support the work we're doing here in Kansas City? Right. Sure. We've got to actually create a way that we can engage people and create revenue. You know, I, I can't stand that nonprofits. We're like the only entity, uh, legal entity that actually describes what we do using an IRS designation nonprofit. Right. Yeah. It makes no sense whatsoever, right? And frankly, every nonprofit needs to make profit. We've got to be able to fund innovation, research and development, staff costs, you know, marketing costs. And, and for some reason, in the old school version of thinking about nonprofits or solving social uh, situations, particularly domestically, all of a sudden we're talking just about donations 
And that is not going to be a sustainable uh, mechanism for creating the kind of social change and the social innovation that is possible. And so, profits. Yeah. Sure, Pro we got to make profit. Profits are really important, and they're it's they're not just a man with a white beard. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And which I don't have. You can't see that from the show. I'm, but you know, the reality is that if we don't generate revenue, uh, if we don't generate revenue, we're not going to be able to sustain the work that we're doing. And so look, the big difference is that in a for-profit company, the owners are inured the benefit yeah. in a nonprofit company. There is no owner. Technically the owner is the public and it's managed by a board of directors and by hired staff or volunteer staff on behalf of the public. It's a public benefit charity. Well, so that's the big difference. Sadly, we have some nonprofits where it seems like the executives take all the money and not a lot of the money actually goes to the charity or the beneficiaries that are supposed to receive it either. Sure. And that's and a whole I think nother that's, problem. It is a whole nother problem. Of course, we have that in for-profit realm too, right? We've seen that in the news. That's 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 a character flaw of, of human beings, right? And, and priorities. But the thing that we have an opportunity to do now is, again, to harness the best of business. What's business awesome at? If you just think about from your perspective, why did you start a company rather than starting a nonprofit to do IT work? I'm crazy. <laughs> right. Well, That's why I started my own business. Well, you do it to solve a problem. Yeah. I mean, really in the end, I mean, and, and, you know, some of the, I mean, the best businesses that I've participated in, I, I look back and I jokingly refer to as accidentally starting them. I mean, and, and almost immediately in million dollar bedroom, the, one of the first chapters is titled by my, my accidental business. And I think that it's not uncommon for, well, I think businesses get started because people are passionate about what about something that the business does. It's often like a craft or a hobby or just different things. And then all of a sudden they say, oh, I think I could make some money with this. And then they realize they have a hell of a lot to learn about business. And I think I think what with social venturing, what your your overall description uh, is very is very much aligned with the the new concept of the evergreen fund. Mm -hmm. That a lot of uh, municipalities and area, you know, just cities or I don't know, regions are starting like the Fountain Innovation Fund's a good example of an evergreen fund that has started. And we've had Ma Maggie Kennefake in on that uh, and, you know, talking about rather than just giving out grants of money coming in, which it was kind of like the, mo you know, the opposite model, um, instead taking a small piece of the actual you know, investing in the ventures themselves, knowing that, yeah, sure, a lot of them are going to die on the vine. But at the same time, if a couple of them succeed, or even if they just kind of plow along without major, major impact, they're still creating jobs and output and, and different stuff. Now, in the event that one of those companies exits or the profits come back in, it there's a level of sustainability there. And I like that approach because like, kind of like what you're saying, father is, is, I mean, I, I, I can only imagine I, I've never been in this role, but if you're constantly having to ask people for donations, I mean, that's a job too. You know, yeah. and, and, it, and that takes you to, it takes your focus away from, you know, if you, if you have to, I, I can only imagine that in any, well, I mean, anything, 
everything from politics to religion that rely on incoming donors to fuel it, how much of that energy is spent looking for that next dollar as opposed to doing things that might be a little more impactful. Well, and it's like any business startup, right? From from seed to series A, there's this ebb and flow between the entrepreneur has got an incredible idea. They, you know, they work 24-7 to get it launched, and then all of a sudden they need an infusion of capital and they spend all their time raising money to get it off the ground. And then the struggle continues. And then they're going back and forth and back and forth until they hit a period of sustainability where the thing that they've created is generating the income, at least for that plateau, that stage. But Unfortunately, in the nonprofit world, unless we're talking about social impact investing, which is what I would call sort of another version of that evergreen fund, or unless we're talking about social ventures, we never get to a place where we're creating something that stays evergreen. So I love the idea of philanthropists thinking of themselves, um, at least in part with their funds, like VC funders and going out and saying, look, I'm going to give you this money to start up your idea, but I expect it back in 10 years with maybe a less than market rate return, but I want to get it back so that I can go do it again with you or with somebody else. And if we deploy capital that way in an evergreen way, here's what it allows for. It allows for that kind of work to be sustainable. But we've got to build into the world that, that, that I live in, in the nonprofit world. One of our other problems is we're not allowed to fail. When all you're doing is grant funding, you don't get to use that like essential entrepreneurship trait, which is fail fast. Lean startup, fail fast. You get a grant, you're expected to deliver on a grant. If you fail, likely you're not getting a grant again from that funder, right? And then hey, the other hey, side hey, of Matt. Hey, what? Matt, do you remember that time we had a priest on Startup Hustle and he said from seed to series A and fail fast and all that other stuff? Yeah, that was weird. I, I already told you I'm the worst priest in the Kansas City region. Or best. Or best who knows? This well, is really, it's all a matter of perspective. We, we've determined that, that you know, I, I've spent a lot of time over the last couple of years trying to answer some deep philosophical, philosophical questions. And, and one of them is, what's the difference between being a genius and being crazy? And the best answer I, I had, I've come up with was, who cares? Right. Um, and then, it, yeah, because it's all about outside perspective. So one of my seminary professors yeah. said, what is really an expert? It's someone who knows more and more about less and less. And yeah, sure. I kind of like that. Yeah, I mean, well, I got a business well, I, degree before I went to seminary. And so really, once I once I became an Orthodox Christian priest and got into parish life, obviously, that's a that's a deeper and another conversation. But this love of entrepreneurship and the desire to see social change um, I am super excited about the way that business, faith, and philanthropy come together through social venturing. I really believe it's kind of the emerging fourth sector of capitalism. I'd love to see most nonprofits replaced with sustainable social ventures. And I, I'm crazy enough to believe I think it's possible in almost every type of nonprofit that's out there. You just have to have folks that are willing to lead and think like that. And it, you know, it's an evolving field, so to speak. So let's talk about the practical application about uh, of some of this, because with what reconciliation services and and for and I, as you answer my question or explain what you guys are doing down there, also let us know how we can find this. You know, how someone that wants to get more information, uh, you know, you've got a is is it Thelma's Kitchen? Is that it, what, right? 
what do you have the you're you're taking care of people right now at one at one of your social venturing operations that is highly critical especially given the covid-19 situation right now can you can you give us this actual uh you know working model of how this is how this is in play here in Kansas City Sure. And you can go to thelmaskitchen.org if you want to follow along at home and, and see a little bit more, watch some videos. But, you know, let me start with what Thelma's Kitchen is, and then we'll talk about quickly what it is right now. Thelma's Kitchen was a social venture that we launched uh, about 18 months ago. It's a donate what you can restaurant, which is run 95% with volunteers. It's the furthest thing from a soup kitchen that you can imagine. We did a two-year listening campaign, if you want to think about it like product development, and we wanted to create a place that was a gathering place for rich and poor, east and west side of Troost, black and white, where really you could have CEOs and homeless folks eating together at, at tables and getting proximal with one another again to build that relationship. And all the while, we're, we're serving incredible food. Uh, you know, I think we're the only five-star Yelp-rated restaurant on Troost Avenue in Kansas City, which, which I'm proud of. Our food is awesome, and the environment is even better. I always like to say that, you know, just because you want to do good doesn't mean your food shouldn't be so good. And so, you know, we try to have an incredible food experience, but also really bring people together. Now, we shut down our restaurant just a little bit before the mayor locked everything down just because we knew that some of the population that we serve, particularly those that are struggling to survive and succeed, the working poor, the homeless, uh, folks who are older and on fixed incomes, they are more likely to be very susceptible to COVID-19. Um, folks that are homeless, just think about it. They don't have access to hygiene. They don't have a place to shelter in place. You know, all of those things that we kind of take for granted as we're hunkering down with our families, some of those basic things like hand washing uh, isn't readily available, let alone hand sanitizer. So we knew that we needed to make a change early to protect our staff, our volunteers, and our clients and partners from what we thought was coming, and we got a couple of days ahead of it. So right now, unfortunately, Thelma's Kitchen is closed to the public, but at the front door every day, we're just giving away to-go food. And um, it's a little different, again, because we're a donate what you can restaurant. I'm pretty, you know, I'm pretty excited to see like, you know, Rieger and other people starting to do like donate what you can. I feel like, you know, maybe we helped to bring that, you know, concept to Kansas City. I don't know, maybe they knew about it before us. I don't mean to uh, in any way to boast, but I feel like, you know, right now, what we're seeing is an influx of people, both people out of work, homeless and others who are on fixed incomes who literally are not able to, to eat. I mean, we've got one of our programs, which is called the Foster Grandparents Program. We have 100 senior citizens who live 200% below the federal poverty line here in Kansas City. All of them are struggling to age in place. Almost none of them have a car. And, and about 20% of them are, are really concerned right now. And so um, we're making food deliveries. We're making sure to check on those folks. Um, Thelma's Kitchen's pretty different. It took a long time, uh, I'd say almost 12 months, to kind of educate the community about what this social venture was all about. And we'll get back to it again. We will. I mean, the, the, the model worked. The model was generating significant revenue to support the work of the nonprofit, which, which I could talk about if you want to know what else we do. But um, right now, it's just about caring for our neighbors. 
So I have, a, I have a question about the, so with Thelma's kitchen and just like kind of discussing the mechanics of it, you take donations in now, does the kitchen, uh, does the restaurant operate? Like, do you, I mean, is that a paid for meal kind of thing? It's like any other restaurant, but you just create whatever's on the menu via the donations that come in. Yeah. So we follow a, a model that there's only about 50 restaurants like this. We were the first in the region in Kansas city and we, we innovated on top of the donate what you can model quite a bit um, to support the rest of our work. But normally when you come in, well, we're not just giving it away because of the emergency. Uh, normally when you come in, you see a menu and you've got three or four options that is all cooked by a professional chef in the back who's a staff member. And then there are volunteers that are also helping with dishes and prep and things like that. But we're held to all of the food standards just like a normal restaurant, right? And so then the food is hot and fresh and home cooked every day. We are, you know, trying to find partnerships with associated wholesale grocers and others who can provide um, restaurant quality fresh food to us, but do it um, as a donation because we're a nonprofit, but we're not, we're not taking kind of like squishy carrots or leftover food from yesterday's party. I mean, this is a restaurant, not a soup kitchen. So then that food is available when people walk in, no matter who you are, you can donate the suggested price of $12 for a large plate or $9 for a small plate, or you can donate more to pay it forward or donate less if you don't have it. Uh, we like to say from three to 3000, you know, whatever you think that that meal is worth that day. And then if you don't have any money, what we ask you to do is to volunteer for about 30 minutes in exchange for a large plate. Now, you can do that no matter whoever you are, and you can do that five days a week all year long if you want to. But when people are paying a little more for their meal, what's happening is it's paying it forward for those who, who can't pay the full price for their meal. Uh, about 65% of the meals that are um, received by patrons in Thelma's Kitchen are going to people that are paying less than the suggested price. And then we also have these awesome corporate sponsorship and, and HR training team building days that we call Lunch on Me KC, which anybody in your audience, when everything's open back up again, that'd be a great way to plug in with us. And that's where a company like Evergy or uh, recently we had Country Club Bank, we had a number of other partners, Arvest, those folks come down. And they bring eight to 12 of their employees. We go through this kind of hour-long orientation where we talk about the 200-year history of Troost. We talk about what's going on in the social world around Troost, some of the struggles. We talk about development, gentrification, all those things. Then those employees put an apron on, and they run the restaurant. And my two full-time staff, people who, who kind of oversee everything, help them do that. And then we do a debrief. The cool thing is, is that they donate $1,200, which provides for 100 meals that day. So essentially, they're sponsoring the bulk of the meals for everybody who's coming in. We do a lot of social media and a lot of press. It's, it's good for everybody. It's like the cheapest HR training for a company and the most fun uh, team building thing in Kansas City. Plus, you get the benefit of charitable tax deduction for the $1,200, and you're really doing a lot of good that day to, to help people. I mean, it's a, it's a triple win. Or more. Do you guys do you guys do catering too? So no, we're not doing catering. That's a really difficult model. That um, what we decided to do was to kind of go after the lunch box lunch 
um, market, so to speak, right? So you've got Panera and you know all these other places that are doing that. And we're starting uh, as soon as the world opens back up again. We were set to launch this month a what we call Thelma's Kitchen Box Lunch Company, and that is a, a social venture box lunch. We've already been beta testing that for the last six months. Everybody from City of Kansas City, Missouri, you know, TIF Commission to private companies to schools. And so we're selling those. There'll be an online form. We uh, aren't going to do on-site catering. There's just a ton of competition and a lot of logistics in that. I'm also not going to replicate like another Thomas Kitchen until we really get things, uh, you know, here and stable. And I think the fastest way in the region to sort of spread the brand and to in invite people to, to participate in our work on Troost is to be able to do this Box Lunch Co. model. Yeah, the, I think the box lunch thing is a great idea to help get more um, commercial partners. You know, somebody like Stackify, we provide free lunch to our employees and we cater it in and we do box lunches from different places and stuff. So it'd be great if, you know, this was an option and we knew it was, you know, um, a nonprofit that we can support instead Sounds of some like other. like we need to have a 52 weeks once a day Thomas Kitchen Stackify agreement. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah, no, we'd love to do that. And, and, you know, look, people try it once. They love the food and they love the mission. They get to read the story. They're not just having lunch, but they know that every time they have lunch, it's going to provide all the other services, which are social services and trauma therapy and economic community building. So, yeah, like, I love it. yeah, I mean, so we're the largest provider of IDs, birth certificates and work permits in Kansas City, I think actually in the state of Missouri. You think about that little piece of plastic you've got in your wallet. Like you can't get into a, a hospital to see your kid at Children's Mercy. You can't uh, get a plane ticket. You can't apply for a, a job legally without that little piece of plastic. But there's a lot of barriers for people to get that thing. And so we help them overcome those barriers. We provide over $200,000 a year in medicine and medical supplies through our partnership with Medicine Cabinet, uh, rent and utilities. But really the heart of it, guys, is what we call stealth mental health. So when we build relationship in Thomas Kitchen, then we earn trust through those social services. What we're doing is trying to get to the heart of the matter, which is really the trauma, depression, therapy, the anxiety, uh, and that is evidence-based clinical, and we offer it for free to those who are low income. It's the same kind of thing that you or your kids or anyone who's been through things might go to. We just are offering it for free whether you have insurance or not. So it's a, it's a pretty cool model. There's a real intentional theory of change. And every time you eat a Thelma's Kitchen lunch or get a box lunch, you're supporting all of that. Uh, I like to call it slacktivism, slack, slacker activism. So just eating lunch. That, that's right good. up my alley. Is it? <laughs> slacktivism. Oh, sure. Sure. Why not? Right. Uh, so so overall, like in the Thelma's kitchen model, I mean, is it proving to be, is the level of sustainability, is it proving out? I mean, is it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, is that, you know, as a startup, we got to break even within 12 months, which is pretty incredible. Um, now we have some corporate support. That's a part of that. We have some grant support. When we add the grant support and the corporate support in, we do more than break even. So if you think about a restaurant that has no labor cost and, and could potentially have partnerships to reduce or kill certain expensive food or supplies costs. So again, we're, we're a nonprofit. You know, we're able to give a tax deduction for folks, but we operate like a business with a mission. 
it's more than just purpose driven. There's, there's direct good from every patron who's donating and eating there. Yeah, I think that's pretty cool. I think that's a, that, that evergreen approach is definitely pretty interesting. So it, as far as like you, you mentioned before, you, you know, you used the phrase, I won't replicate Thelma's until, I mean, is the plan to create multiple Thelma's kitchens? I mean, is that the, is that the long-term outlook? You know, the thing is, is that I'm open to what works. You know, I've got a social mission that our board and our staff are committed to, but also I think we're on to something. You know, I think we've got the tiger by the tail, so to speak, and we want to see this model replicated. But it's not just a restaurant. It's really the way that that restaurant is combined uniquely in our theory of change with the social and the trauma therapy and the economic community building. So we'd want to find a community with a nonprofit that thinks like ours, that's sitting on a crossroad like 31st and Troost. And, you know, we'd want to see the kind of conditions on the ground that really make Thelma's kitchen work so that, that all ships rise together. That makes it a lot harder to recreate too. I mean, if it's just a restaurant, that's a lot easier to, you know, recreate than all the other things that you're doing. That, that makes it way more difficult. Well, and we've talked about a model. I've got a guy who uh, I'm really good friends with who owns um, airport concessions. I mean, I've, I've played around with creating, you know, Thelma's branded or licensed products that would follow our recipes. I mean, again, I don't need any distractions right now because at the same time we're running Thelma's Kitchen, we're starting up other social ventures. We're also running all these trauma therapy and social services. And, and you know, right now with what's going on with COVID, I mean, here's one of the things that's a weakness. Now, I don't know that any business could prepare for this, but one of the weaknesses is, you know, if I generate a quarter million dollars from one of the social ventures, that's a restaurant to support all the work. As soon as restaurants are all closed, you know, there evaporates that income that I've budgeted to support real staff salaries for social and trauma therapy work. So I might be looking at like, like a lot of small businesses, right? A lot of organizations might be looking at a 350 to $650,000 hole that's got to be made up this year. Right. And so, yeah. And, and that's, and that's something I'm assuming is a not-for-profit you, you might not qualify for some of the stimulus stuff that is coming out or you do or don't. We're researching it. I mean, so far early research looks like some of the SBA loans. If we qualify for those with under 50 employees, I've got about 22 employees. I've been able to keep all of them employed through the generosity of Kansas city and reserves and such. But, you know, we think we're going to be able to apply for some of that funding. But I, I also have been really, really impressed with the philanthropic community. And again, remember, I'm talking about best of business, faith and philanthropy. This is where philanthropy really steps in to sustain things that need to be sustained, like reconciliation services, which is, you know, the mayor said we're an essential service on the front line. So I, I'm impressed with how the foundation community has come together. And as far as I understand, they've put together a $10 million COVID-19 fund in order to help nonprofits like ours. But my guess is um, there are so many nonprofits that that's not going to fill the gap. And we're going to have to, we're going to have to do what all your listeners do. We're going to have to invent. We're going to have to pivot. We're going to have to I mean, but look, that's, you know, like entrepreneurs are people that can't turn it off, you know, and don't know why anybody would. And so I like that idea. And our whole team is pretty entrepreneurial here. And it's going to take all of us, you know, to get through this, but we can do it. And I have a lot of hope that we should be here. We will be here. And as long as we concentrate on serving the poor in the community, 
we'll get there. I, I think the first place we start with raising some funds is by auctioning off Watson's sur- toilet paper surplus. I mean, he's got a stash. I can see it on this camera. Yeah, yeah, and they, they, the listeners don't know we can see each other, but Watson's got so much toilet paper, it's stacked up behind him. There's two small towers. Is there a- I've got more. Is there a uh, yeah. phone number that you call for hoarding? Or, I mean, is there like an emergency hoarding alert number? Or what's the what's the protocol? I, I've got, it's been on auto dial. Okay. Well, I mean- we all, are going to do 190 employees at full scale have been, have redirected their bandwidth to reporting Watson's hoarding tendencies. Yeah. Yeah. You could, hey, I am actually, it's available for donation. If somebody really needs toilet paper, I'm got you covered. Do you, do you deliver? Nope. Do you do curbside curbside pickup? Uh, only if we'll, you're wearing we'll, gloves and a mask. We'll, pu- what if we'll, we pu- ran we'll a publish pun- your address in the in the in the show notes. Actually, what I really want to do is figure out who needs toilet paper really bad, and then just TP their front yard. Uh, that gets close to a good idea. What if what if <laughs> <laughs> what if what you did was anybody who made a donation to reconciliation services of a hundred dollars or more and put startup hustle in the gift note, you mailed them at least a half a roll. Well, Absolutely. You, know, you know what? Unused, I unused half a roll. Right. I think, I think we can do a little better than that. So I don't know if we're friends on Facebook, Facebook or not, Father Justin, but uh, last week I decided to start a fundraiser that uh, was uh, just from people I knew on Facebook that was intended to raise some money from, from, uh, you know, just individuals. And the the whole purpose was to spend it at local restaurants who would then deliver the food to medical service providers. Mm. So I'm, I'm trying to figure out if you're on the delivery end of one of those donations, or if you're on the, the restaurant end of it. Yeah. We're on the pickup side because of capacity, you know, so but we are very close to Truman and Children's Mercy and other hospitals because we're at 31st and Troost in downtown Kansas City. And so, uh, you know, if, if there are any medical workers, I mean, they're heroes for sure right now. Um, but there are a lot of CNAs and med techs and others who are in the weeds there, too. If anybody wants to come by, uh, we're glad to just give them lunch. That's for sure. Um, and there are a lot of small businesses that could benefit from that fund that you put together that that have a little different mission, but you know, if people want to support us again, they can sponsor meals at thelmaskitchen.org. And then from right there, you can actually link to reconciliation services, main page. You can get a, I hate nonprofit, boring websites and newsletters. So it's pretty much all videos and compelling content. You can go on there and watch short videos and see, you know, live updates of what's going on. And one of the things I'm wanting to do for all your listeners is really provide a unique ear to the rail of what we're seeing, because I think we've got kind of a leading edge on what's coming. And I can tell you, just to be real frank with you, the anxiety level on the street, the anxiety level of the people that are coming, uh, you know, the number of meals that we're serving is doubled, more than double. We've gone from about 125 meals a day in the old world to now giving away over 300, 350 meals a day. Um, we've gone from seeing mostly homeless or transitionally homeless folks who came once we started doing the degos to now I'm seeing painters, construction guys and gals, people who are, um, you know, guys who work in restaurants. I mean, it's, it's shifting. 
And so when we see this tidal wave coming, and I don't know when people are going to be listening, but here we are on April 1st, it's not an April Fool's joke. Things are really changing. And I think um, I want to be providing both live content. You can follow us on social media, both Thelma's Kitchen and Reconciliation Services on every platform. Uh, You can follow me on LinkedIn as well. So um, we're here. And if you've been unemployed, if you become unemployed and you need help, you can come to Reconciliation Services too. If we don't have it, we'll know where you can help find help. And we want to be a resource to the business community as well right now. So while you were telling us about the donation that was possible at thelmaskitchen.org, I did just donate $100. That was fast and easy. So hopefully that goes to good use. Um, And for those of you listening, you can certainly do the same. Uh, I definitely want to figure out, and we can talk about this later, about how we can get. So I've raised about $2,000. Awesome. Um, outside of this. And, and, you know, we, yesterday we, we did put a, I put a, a poll up about where some of it should, you know, what restaurants it should go through. Um, I, I, I think we need to figure out how to get some of them to bring you guys some food um, to, to feed the people that are feeding everyone else as well. So I, I think we can probably get that figured out. Now, as we round out this episode of Startup Hustle, we, uh, end all of our episodes with what we call the founders freestyle, which is going to give you an opportunity to say about whatever you want or wrap up any of the content that we discussed here today. Uh, we let our guests go first. So father, take it away. Yeah. I, I want to say that when this is all over and we will get through this, I'd love to come back and talk with you and and talk with the audience about the power of social venturing and about what we're doing here at Reconciliation Services. There are opportunities to uh, invest and to give charitably in the work that we're doing. And I think that we've got a model here that um, is sustainable and that can really make a difference. I talk about it kind of like urban uh, acupuncture or urban you know, pressure points. What we're doing here at 31st and Troost in Kansas City can actually have a regional impact uh, because we all know if you, if you read the data that diversity and inclusion and this kind of work that we're doing here actually is a superior growth model for the region. So number one, I just want to invite people to check us out at thomaskitchen.org or rs3101.org and come get involved, come get, you know, come volunteer. The last thing I want to share is, look, even if every dollar dried up, even if we had no money, there's a lot that we can do. You know, you remember the old story of stone soup? You ever heard that one? No. Okay. Well, here's the short version. A guy's in a village. There's a plague. All he's got is a pot, some water. He puts it on a fire in the middle of the village and he puts a stone in the middle and he starts stirring. Another guy comes up. He goes, what are you doing? First guy goes, I'm making stone soup. He goes, stone soup. I mean, what's that? And he says, well, look in there. And the guy kind of feels bad for him. And he says, well, look, I've got some carrots I'll throw in there. He throws some carrots in. They keep stirring. Another guy comes up. He's got some potatoes. Third guy, some meat. You get the point. By the end of it, they've got a huge pot of of soup that's going to be able to feed a whole village. And I don't care if we run out of money. Reconciliation Services is going to be here. We've got an obligation. We've got an opportunity to be able to serve our neighbors and to see all ships rise together. And uh, there's nothing that's going to hold us back from that. That's that kind of true entrepreneurial grit that I know your listeners have. We're just applying it in a little different way. 
and we need help. So if folks want to get involved, whether you're bringing back to your earlier point, time, talent, or treasure, we'd, we'd make room and we'd love to have you here at Reconciliation Services in Thelma's Kitchen. Father Watson? You know, I, uh, I'm excited to check out Thelma's Kitchen. I've, I've honestly never been there. Um, so I look forward to doing that in the, in the near future. I love what you guys are doing and I love the, the idea of trying to figure out how to do more of these types of things and replicate, you know, restaurants like this. Um, I think all the other things that you do make it kind of complicated to replicate, you know, the mental health part of it, all these other things, you know, it's, it's hard to find the right talent to lead and run that and accomplish all those things. But I love the the kind of model of what you're doing. And, and I wish we had a lot more of, of this. I mean, we, all, we always have a lot of homeless and, and people that need these meals and need, need this uh, at some point in time in their life. You know, um, we all go through rough patches in our life. Um, my, my dad was on food stamps when I was younger for a while. I mean, we, we all go through these, these rough times, right? And there's a lot of people going through it right now. So I think what yeah, you guys I think right is really now critical. we yeah, I really appreciate that. I think right now we can all kind of, even in a, each of us in our own way, we can kind of empathize a little easier. You know, there's that kind of vulnerability virtue that we're all learning a little bit right now because of what we're going through really as a world, you know, if you think about it. Uh, but here's one opportunity too. you know, we, it may be easier to replicate some of the other things that we're working on. We're actually working on launching a a 3PL contract packaging company called RS Social Ventures. We're looking for social impact investment in that. We're also working on transforming our building at 31st and Troost. And rather than running just a capital campaign, we're actually running a social impact fund. So look, if there are people out there that either know how to do that and can educate me, I mean, I've got a lot to learn. Or if there are people who are interested in investing in that when things open up, I'd love to talk to them because Thelma's might be difficult to replicate. I don't know. I think there might be ways to do it. I, I think there are ways to do it, but we're working on a couple of other things that would certainly be easier to replicate on a regional and national level, and we can have a huge impact. Once again, for those of you listening, Father Justin Matthews with Reconciliation Services and Thelma's Kitchen, you can make, go check them out, thelmaskitchen.org. I made a donation. I think you should too. I'm going to talk a little bit more about what we can do to get some of that those additional funds I raised uh, appropriated to help you with what you're doing. Um, you know, as we once again, Father, thank you for coming in. It's definitely a first for us. I I want to commend you for all your hard work. I love the entrepreneurial spirit. I, I love the idea of hey, let's 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 not just stand and and walk. Let's do it together. Um, I don't think there's any problem. With, I don't have any issue or problem. If anything, I think it's a greater solution for more not-for-profits to be, have an evergreen mentality. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, it, 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 you know, one hand washes the other. Uh, some, you're funding other things by doing another stu other stuff. It's, it's, it's right in line with so many things that that uh makes sense at, at startup hustle we we may have now just anointed you as father startup thank um, you thank i'll yeah. take it <laughs> i i think you could also probably um you could probably raise a massive amount of donations just hearing confessions from startup founders yeah um, i don't know i don't that it, they tried that in the church in old days i think it was called indulgences didn't work so well right it well kind of heretical well, 
possibly with 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 that you know we had once created an imaginary club that we refer to as tears and beers and uh it was where it was a judgment-free zone where you could come either get drunk you could come curl up in the corner and cry or you could do both in either order or combination so i feel like right there we finally got to start up hustle like you know the podcast was good but like right there now, now I'm in the startup hustle that I listen to all the time, right? Yeah, yeah. And that's uh, the tears and beers is a real thing, man. So uh, we, we will extend you uh, one, one free membership. Thank you. To the, to the club. It's, it's real. And, you know, I always, uh, I, I refer to, sometimes when I talk to our clients, I say, now remember, I've got an NDA with you. So I'm kind of like your startup priest, but now we have one. Now we have one. So yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's the same thing. If I can be of chaplain service, you let me know. I'm, I'm happy to, yeah. Zoom call with anybody. I'm going to, I'm going to lock your calendar down for six to eight months. So get ready, get ready for that. I've got a long list anyway. See y'all next time. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Startup Hustle with Matt DeCarsi and Matt Watson. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit startuphustle.xyz. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and subscribe. And we'll catch you next time on Startup Hustle.